But Lucas, when you go to a Christmas party, birthday sure. party, something mm-hmm. like that, do you take a camera and do you take pictures? Yes. Uh, I mean, it kind of depends, right? Uh, so for like work Christmas party, I am not going to bring a camera. Though I did last year because someone asked me to take pictures of Santa Claus. And had to like set up a tripod and learn how to do flash sync because I never synced flashes before. Mm. And that was a huge nightmare. Dealing with non-continuous lighting sources <laughs> is a ginormous pain. It was really dumb and it's just not a skill that I have. Yeah. I, I don't even, I have no idea how people work fla- with flashes. Mm-hmm. It was, mm-hmm. our, it was my boss's flash and mm. he's like, here's how you use it. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he's like, you just, you just like put the thing on the thing. And I'm like, you're talking gibberish. Yep. Anyway, for like my family's birthdays or, you know, hey, oh, hey, come up and we're going to do Mother's Day and blah, 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 blah. I, I basically always bring my camera yeah. and I'll slap a prime on there and set it to JPEG only and just snap some pictures. So I have them because I kind of I mean, I prefer the way that my camera looks over my phone. Makes sense. What lens do you use? Uh, it depends. I usually use a mid to wide angle prime, uh, usually a 35, 30 or 16 millimeter lens. Less than 16 nowadays <laughs> for reasons, yeah. but uh, usually that's that's kind of what I do. I don't want to have to deal with framing with a zoom and having like, mm. oh, I'm going to zoom in or out or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I want it to be as like snapshot as possible and primes make that a lot easier. And yeah. since I don't really care about being like the perfect portrait picture, just candid stuff, right? like getting the frame at what the frame is going to be is perfectly fine by me. That so sense. it's like... Full frame equivalent, we're talking between 24 and 50 millimeters. Nice. The coveted 35 length, I guess. Mm-hmm. What What about you? I feel like most of the time, no. It kind of just depends, I guess. I think what I've realized is that I take my camera with me when I don't necessarily know what else I'm going to do. Like, sure. if I'm afraid of it being a socially awkward situation, I'll just take my camera and I can hide behind the camera. Yeah, and easy. Like, yeah, I have a job to do. I have mm-hmm. something to do with my hands. You know, it works I, out better. I get that. That totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. The problem arises whenever there is like snacks, drinks, and your camera. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. geez, if only yeah. I had three hands. Yeah, and like you're not going to put your your capture clip thing on your belt. You know, like you oh, can't no, be that guy. Not a monster. So, yeah. Got to juggle all those uh, snacks and drinks and cameras. I mean, those kind of events are, to me, are the perfect you know opportunity to have your like little smaller point and shoot type or fixed lens camera. Just uh, just bring get a like a like a Q two yeah, or whatever. Yeah, just bring your like a Q two with you everywhere. Easy. Yeah. Why haven't you already done that? <laughs> I can give you six thousand reasons uh, why. Yeah. <laughs> I bet so. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back to talk more about the gear side of photo and video. Okay, so we're getting to the end of 2022, and I thought it might be kind of fun to go back through the year and talk about some of our favorite camera gear that we used, as well as some of the things that we were excited about this year, some of the new releases. So yeah, let's start with some of our favorite things that we used this year. You want to go first? Yep. I'm going to go first. And this one's going to be pretty controversial. So watch out. Gaff tape. I mean, that's that's pretty cheap. Yep. Cheapest thing you can buy. I, I've heard people say it before. They're like, hey, Lucas, gaff tape is probably the most useful thing in your camera kit. I'm like, you're stupid. That's dumb. But then we did that that shoot and we used so many rolls of gaff tape. 
And I was like, gaff tape's good for everything. I remember we didn't have it on the first day. Mm-hmm. And I got on my phone and I, on Amazon. I bought like four rolls the next day. Uh-huh. We I, it. Whenever we ran the Steadicam, I used gaff tape to tape batteries to the sled to even out the weight. I'm like, I don't know how else I would have attached that. I didn't have like all the right rigging equipment. Mm-hmm. And like you can use it for floor markers for things. And like it is the most useful thing. I mean, if you don't have a magic arm, just gaff tape it. It's not going to leave residue and it's totally cool and it's black if you need to black something out. And to me, the like the usefulness of gaff tape became super apparent to I me. Agree. It's apparent this year uh, to an extent that I, I guess I wasn't as... Um, one with the tape as uh, before. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was always skeptical of the no residue thing. Yeah. I always thought what tape doesn't leave residue. That's ridiculous, but it really doesn't. Like, doesn't. It's, it's great. Yeah. The way of the tape. And it's so cheap. You, so just, cheap. you should like, have it. There's no reason not to. I mean, like you're like, Oh, I don't want to put a roll of tape in my, in my bag. I mean, like get, get like an NPF battery or, yeah. or something and just like wrap it around it. I don't mm-hmm. know. You should always have a little bit of gaff tape with you at all times. I totally agree with that. I definitely feel the same way. Yep. Just like fold it over on itself into like a card and put it in your wallet. I mean, and you always have it with you. Sure. Any, anytime you need it. Yep. I would I would argue it it may be more useful than duct tape. Now that's a controversial opinion. <laughs> I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> duct tape is pretty useful. Oh yeah. Well, uh don't at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen people use uh, duct tape to make prom dresses before. Yep. I don't know if I've ever prom, seen a gaff tape prom dress. Prom dresses, wallets, all kinds. I think I think the gaff tape adhesive would wear out before because mm. duct tape's like permanent. That's true. Duct tape is forever. Gaff tape is not. True. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm going to continue your theme of production related things and say that one of my favorite things I used this year on that same project was V mount batteries. And that's something that we've seen before online, seen it in videos and stuff, but I don't think we ever really had used them very much. And on that production, we used a lot of V-mount batteries, and I think we were pretty impressed at how long they last and just generally how useful those were. Yeah, V-mount batteries are surprisingly expensive, and it makes me really mad because they were probably the most useful thing on that set next to the gaff tape. It's just... You can like power so many things from them, and like this has a D tap and that has a D tap, and I'm like, V mount all the things. Mm-hmm. I can power my life from a V mount. We have the camera powered from a V mount, and it's just like, I don't know, they fantastic. All, they all have the button on them, so you can see how much uh, charge they have. That's super yeah. useful. That's something you don't normally get from an NPF battery. Extremely handy. Like they kind of they charge kind of slow, but it's like you can get them in whatever capacity you need. So you're like, do I need a battery that's the size of a brick, or do I need a battery that's like the size of my hand? Yep, and it's super versatile. You can use them all kinds of situations. The only downside is they are expensive. Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, that's. I think that's why we haven't switched to them because it's like hundreds of dollars per battery. Yeah, if I was regularly running a rig that needed it or was needing my light to be wireless frequently, I would I would definitely invest in like a five hundred dollar V mount battery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It it really feels like on that production we were changing out the NPF batteries constantly. But it usually felt like when we put a V-mount battery on, we didn't have to change oh, it. It lasted all day. You have a V-mount that can run your your Nucleus Nano and your monitor and your camera. I guess the camera was on its own battery. Uh, your Ninja. And so like we run all the all three of those off of a, a regular, pretty small V-mount. And mm-hmm. I mean, it would run for an entire shoot. Yeah. Like eight hours and of shooting. Don't forget the Pterodact, too. That's right. And the Pterodact. Mm-hmm. Definitely a nice thing to have, yeah, and, for sure. and I understand why they're as, why they are as expensive as they are because they're super useful. Yep, pretty durable too. I mean, you yeah. could you could 
bludgeon somebody with one of those Yeah, I mean, things. you can use them as a brick. You can make your house out of V-mount batteries. Yep. Mm-hmm. You hit them over the head with a V-mount battery, and then you tape them up with gaff tape. Yeah, it's perfect. Done. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's like we're making Home Alone Cinema Edition here. <laughs> yes. Yes. I want that. I want that in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let your dreams be dreams. All right, what's next? All right, I guess for me... I'm gonna I'm gonna take the big one off the table here and say the XH2S. I oh he's gonna talk about Fuji cameras. Oh, okay, watch out Fujicast. Here we come. I, I mean, about the XT3. Blah 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 blah. Two years later, I'm like, cool. Really like this. They're not putting out some of the film simulations. I really want Ibis. Blah 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 blah. And so like I don't know mid 2021, I was like, okay, Fuji usually does two summits a year. Whatever. Maybe they'll release a new XH2 in September or maybe it'll be May. I don't know. But when they release an X-H2, I'm going to buy that camera. Mm-hmm. I made that decision in like, you know, summer 2021. And it wasn't until summer 2022 that they dropped it. And so I was like in anticipation for a year, ready to just like throw my money at Fuji. And I've been, I've been really happy with the X-H2S. It's exactly what I wanted. I want, well, it's mostly exactly what I wanted. Like I wanted a 40 megapixel sensor, which they did give in the X-H2. I'm happy to compromise for a stack sensor. I would rather have the speed over the resolution because of all the cool stuff that it can do, you know, with you know, the 14-bit readout and the faster rolling shutter and all that cool stuff. So I just, I don't know. I was really anticipating it, and it did not disappoint. So it's everything you hoped it would be? It's most of the things I hoped it would be, yeah. I wouldn't say it's everything. Yeah, I mean, I've been liking mine a lot, too. So we, we got our cameras at the same time at release, and I've definitely enjoyed mine, too. I didn't put it on my list because I just feel like I haven't used it enough yet. Yeah, it seems like I got it and I've used it for a couple of projects, but some of that stuff I haven't even edited yet. And so it's a little hard to to really know how to feel about it, but it seems like a great camera. Yeah, I definitely want to get a lot more miles out of it, you know, to to make a final opinion. I'll probably have to like make a video about it or something, but yeah, it's been pretty good. I feel like when we talked about taking photos with it, I I feel like I was just complaining the whole time, but (laughs) I'm still happy with it. It seems like a really solid camera and it seems like a true hybrid camera where it's really good at both photos and videos. And that's, that's what I was looking for when I got it because I had an EOS R and a GH five, which are kind of like heavily photo focused and heavy, heavy video focused. And so XH two S my goal was to get one camera that could do both. And I think it does that. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it doesn't have the, the noise, the low noise performance of a full frame camera, which is always going to be slightly, slightly noisier. And it doesn't have the autofocus of a Sony. It's, it's, you know, a little, a little worse and depending on what you need it for. And, it, but for the money, for like $2,500, like you get so many capabilities and you get such a good dynamic range and like it's the cheapest stack sensor camera you can buy. And so it's like of all the different kind of compromises that you can pick from, to me, it's it's exactly what, what I'm looking for in camera. Well, it's hard to go wrong with that review. Exactly cool. what you're looking for in a camera. Boom. Which is cl- classic Chrome. That's that's what I'm looking for in a camera. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's a really short yeah. list. Yeah. It's interesting how uh, that's only on Fuji cameras. <laughs> oh, weird. Strange. Yeah. Funny how that works. You have to bring classic Chrome to, to Sony. I'm going to switch. Uh huh. Yep. That'd be that'd be something to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess uh, for me to talk about one, uh, we've talked about it on the podcast of, uh, sometime in the past, but the DJI mic is one that I've really enjoyed this year. I was really impressed with that thing when you bought it. I was like, "That's kind of stupid. What, what, like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> Lab mics never sound as good." as shotgun mics or boom mics and so why would you not just boom it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then we used it and it was like the most useful thing i think the thing that really sold me on it was whenever we were shooting 
that vlog that didn't work out or like I was trying to do like an XH2 video and ended up just being a super cut. And the only reason that video was successful is because you left my mic on the entire time. <laughs> I just did a bunch of like stupid stuff the entire time we were out there. And I was like, this is, I think this is funny. And so I, I just super cut all the stupid things I said. And I was like, this is great. And yeah. then I posted it to my channel. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I got, a, I got a whole video out of it and all because of that, that dumb mic. <laughs> well, we've used it for multiple interview things mm-hmm. since then. And I mean, when I got that thing, I was just so impressed at how well designed it is and how well everything works. Like it's just yep. one of those products that gives you joy when you use it because yeah. it's like they thought of everything and it just all works super well. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, like my, I think my favorite thing is that you put it on somebody and then you can control the transmitter from the receiver. So if you want to change the gain or if you just want to start the recordings that you're locally recording on the transmitter, you don't have to tell the person to press a button or anything like that. You have all that control from behind the camera. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's what you were talking about that we used in that video. And that's been super useful in this interview stuff too, because you know we're working with people that aren't used to being interviewed. And so like it just makes them more comfortable if you can just put that little mm-hmm. transmitter on them and then they don't have to touch it or do anything with and it. And it's, it's reasonably discreet. I mean, I think most people kind of understand the, the grasp of, you know, getting mic'd up with, with a lab or whatever yeah. versus, you know, having a boom that's kind of hanging over top or that sort of thing. And they're having to think about how close they are to the mic. Usually like, let them do their thing, be natural. And it, it just works really well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty expensive. It's $330. Oh, and then you probably need a separate lav mic to plug into it. So you can use it without it, but it's generally going to be better if you have a separate lav plugged right. into that. Yeah, so, so, I mean, so my, all in, you're like three quarters of a V-mount battery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could have this this cool mic thing or you could have one battery. You get to choose. <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a hard choice. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> this is uh, definitely you know fourth on the list here. So <laughs> I, I think V-mount goes first. But yeah, super happy with that mic. Uh, I think it was a great purchase. I think we can get a lot more use out of it. And maybe not something I expected, but something I really enjoyed this year. That's cool. It's really cool. I'm going to go with, for the next one, the the Condor Blue HDMI cables. Okay, really? <laughs> H- HDMI cables? <laughs> yeah, I just can't help it. All right, tell so, me more. So, like, Gerald Dundun did his whole deal of, like, hey, buy my purple cables or whatever. And HDMI standards are a nightmare, with like HDMI 2.1 versus 2.0 and like what they support and blah, blah, blah. And like technically HDMI 2.0 shouldn't support 4K60. That's like a 2.1 spec. And like it all gets painfully complicated. Mm-hmm. And I buy this camera and I have this Ninja and I update the Ninja software. And it's like this can support, you know, 6.2K at 24. Technically the HDMI 2.0 cable should not be able to, you know, that standard should be able to support it. It also should be able to support 4K60 and this sort of thing. And but Condor Blue promotes that you know our cables can do that. They're short, they're full size. You can get a coil wound one or not, and mm-hmm. they're, they're braided and they're short. Or like you can get right. They're made to go on from your monitor to your camera. Right. When they're mount, when it's mounted on it, and like it's hard to find a cable that long. And mm-hmm. like they're supposed to be good. And Gerald vouched for them. And so I'm like. It, it's HDMI 2.0, not 2.1. I'm just going to like get it and find out if it works. And for us, whenever we were shooting that show, I felt like it was the most reliable HDMI cable we had because we had a few of them that was like, why is this not working? Oh, it's, it's the stupid yeah, cable. Yeah, we had we had rented some gear and it seemed like some of the cables they had were just really janky yeah, and didn't was, work that well. There was a couple that were just bad mm-hmm. and we ended up having to use like some from home or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've just been really, I've been really happy with that cable. It's It's been reliable it's been there when i need it and exactly what i'm looking for and i know it's like really dumb and boring <laughs> but 
it's like if you need and i think they recently did an update for them because there was some sony cameras that wouldn't quite work with the 4k 60 but they've since updated the hdmi cables so like now if you go out and buy a condor blue cable from condor blue you can get you know it's going to work you know it will work with the 6.2k at 24 frames per second for the fuji yep it's going to work at 4k 60 out of a sony and 4k 24s and all that and yep. be able to handle everything you need and, so and i think they were saying if you have one of the existing cables and it's and it wasn't working yeah. i thought they said they would swap it out yeah for they'd you. swap it out for free yeah so it's i mean that's that's pretty good customer service it, yeah it is and i guess i don't know too much about condor as a brand but this whole experience of like them working with with gerald and replacing those cables and um, the spec working out, even though it's not a 2.1 compliant cable and blah, blah, blah. I just, I don't know. I feel like they're pretty good. And if you're looking for something to, you know, connect to your, from your camera to your monitor and you only need like eight between six and 18 inches, this is the way to go. I would, I'm going to, I'm probably going to buy another one whenever I need one. Now the real question is what color did you get? Obviously I got the Geraldine and purple one. I'm not a monster, Daniel. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. It's I like, have one of those too. Yeah. And I know, I know I'm like, well, uh, which one's my cable It's the purple one. Yep. Bam. I guess maybe I'll have to leave mine at home. We can't both have the purple cable. Is yours like one of the swirly ones? I think so. Mm. I kind of want one that's not coiled. I want, mm. I want a straight one. I like the idea of like kind of wrapping it around something. And then oh, I see. Sometimes also, I, sometimes also I if, feel it's, like, if it's straight, then the video can transfer faster, right? Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Smoother smoother path. Sometimes yeah. you can get corrupted bits just from the, the data bending through the cable. Less pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh also, you know, if you use the coiled ones, it's probably going to create a magnetic field, you know, due to induction. Mm. It's going to mess something up. Yeah. Probably making battery I, last less long. Maybe Gerald can make a video on that. That's a good idea. The magnetic induction yeah. mm-hmm. from HDMI cables. Per- perfect idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need to yeah. submit that one too. I, like, I liked the, I like the coil ones because it's like more compact over here, but, and, and like you plug everything in, but I'm always like when you stretch them, now you're putting tension on a port. And ooh, boy, mm. I do not love the feeling of putting tension on a, no. on, a on a port. You so, never want to put tension on a port. Nope. It's like it's like a spaceship. You're docking, and there's a lot of tension, and then there's a port. You don't want that. <laughs> uh, so on, so on that note, <laughs> well, on that note, next time I buy an HDMI cable, I'm going to buy a non-coiled. One. I mean, clearly you need to have both, right? Because if you are making that short run just from the camera up to the monitor, it's nice to have the coiled cable because sure. it's just like the right size. Yeah, you're right. No, nope, I'm going to have to buy another one. Yeah. And maybe I'll buy a blue one this time. Mm, I don't, don't know about that. they make them in black too? They do. <gasps> I'd buy three. Got to have one in every color. All right. We've talked too much about this. Yeah, we probably have. Well, and this, I mean, this isn't the Gerald Undone podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my next one is from Aperture. So Aperture came out with a light. Um, toward the end of last year, I think, but it shipped this year. I love this thing. And it's the Cobb 60. And I have the 60X, which is the bicolor version of that light. And it is this incredibly tiny uh, LED light that you can use as a key light, as a fill light, that sort of thing. It can be powered off of AC power, or off of V-mount, or off of an NPF battery plate. Yes. And it's just the most useful thing because it it's... It's hard to get across how small that light is. It is but ultra tiny. It makes it extremely portable and the light is plenty bright enough. It's 60 watts. So you got plenty of brightness. You have the bicolor so you can go, you know, through the whole range of normal white light. And we found it to be really useful already just for interview setups. I think we're going to get a lot more use out of it for that. 
And I love not having this big light to carry around. It's just so compact, so easy to travel with. Really happy that product exists. Uh, you, you also didn't mention that you can get a handle for it. So you can just like wave it around like a crazy person. Yeah, like a megaphone, but with light. Yeah, we yeah. should we should link that video that uh, Jesse Driftwood did yes, on the light. It's really, really cool what they did with it. Because like it's a, it's a light. And so they hung it up on like um, a cabling and like ran the light through. And so they were able to get a shot where they were basically painting with the light as it ran through the scene. They were able to kind of hold it and move it around. And so like they didn't have to set up a bunch of lights. It was just like mm-hmm. this person's going to hold it for this shot and they're going to move over here and hold it for this next shot. And, it's great. And they wouldn't have been able to do that with an Aperture 120D. Like, no, they not really. really small. Yeah, I mean, like those things are fanned and all this all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Really cool light. It also works with their app. So you can use the Citus Link app and you can control it from your phone. Works with the other Aperture things. So if you have Aperture MCs, you can set up a scene with the Aperture MCs and the uh, cob light. And it just seems like a really cool product. And honestly, it's surprising it's as cheap as it is for what you can do with it. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give you a list of things that um, are bigger or smaller than an Aperture COB. And I need you to let me know if they're bigger or smaller. Okay. Okay. Uh, 32 ounce count of crushed tomatoes. I think it's, that's, that's honestly pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be smaller than that. Is it really? Oh, man. I mean, I would say it's almost the same size. Yeah. That one's close. Okay. We might have to follow up on that one. <laughs> follow up on that one. All right. A Whopper in the box. It's definitely bigger than that. Okay. Yeah. A Sonos One. You're picking really hard. <laughs> You're picking really hard stuff here. Come on, man. Okay. Come on. A loaf of bread. <laughs> Smaller than a loaf of bread. Half a loaf of bread. <laughs> Six slices of bread. Seven slices of bread. Yeah, approximately uh, seven slices of bread. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, I think, isn't it like, it's like six inches by six inches. Yeah. It's just it's, like this little, incredibly little small. tiny cube. It, it is smaller than a Sonos one. Like it is tiny. Oh, oh yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. Uh, that was actually everything I could think of while you were doing that last bit where you were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. You were just trying to search for things, uh, things the size of a. Yep. I, I think you light. got one out of three. So, oh, okay. um, I will say it is bigger than a corn on the cob. Yeah. Definitely so bigger than a corn on the cob. I'm not sure I like the name cob. Sure, light, sure. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, is it bigger or smaller than a banana? It is bigger than a banana. Yep. Uh, volume wise. Yes. Shorter. I mean, in my heart, they're about the same, <laughs> but. <laughs> nice. Yep. Good light. What is next on my list here? I'm going to go with the uh, 45 liter Peak Design Travel Backpack. See, I don't think everybody knows this, but you like talking about bags, uh, maybe even more than you like talking about Fuji cameras. Sh- I mean, you have a whole YouTube channel yeah, where all no. you do is review bags. Yeah, no, I'm going to think about that for a while. Hold on. Uh, it's pretty close. It is pretty close. I uh, I do like one of my favorite types of videos to make is long form, 32, 60 minute long bag reviews. They go in exhaustive detail. Like too much detail. Like way too much detail. So being that I love bags, I was looking like, so I have, I have, my Timbuktu, I got a Brevetti, I have a different camera backpack. And like for some of the stuff that we do, I'm like, man, I feel like I have to have like two bags kind of thing. Cause not quite like I can't fit my whole kit into the Brevetti. And I'm not gonna put it in the Timbuktu. It's not a camera bag and it's it gets weird with like the snoops and all that stuff. And the camera bag that I had before, like I bought it from Amazon, it was 40 bucks, so it's fine, but it doesn't I just don't like that bag at all. So I was looking for something that could fit everything. But then also that maybe I could I could like one bag travel because like often you're going somewhere you have your suitcase you got your camera bag, if it's a small enough trip like two days it'd be cool if it was one bag, so that was what I was, what I was looking for. Looked at a lot of options. I bought the 45 liter Peak Design, and I have used it on oh geez, 
one, two, three, four, five, like six trips or something that's, this fall. That's quite a bit. And it's uh, it has it has lived up to what it's built for, and I have been really happy with it. My only complaint with that bag is how heavy it is. It's like six pounds soaking wet with nothing in it. That's not that's the wrong way to say that. Yeah, I haven't tested it soaking wet. It's six <laughs> pounds bone dry with nothing in it. I was I was about to say that it's so heavy because you're putting so much stuff in it. But if you're saying yeah. it's that heavy without it's, anything, in it, that's a lot. It's always heavy. It doesn't matter what you have in it. It's just always heavy. Mm-hmm. Six like pounds you, is substantial. You put the camera cube in it. You put a laptop. In. I mean, laptop is going to be two pounds, three, four pounds. Your camera is going to be a pound. Lens is going to be a pound. So once you have like a camera, a laptop, lens, camera, laptop maybe a second lens. The bag weighs 15 pounds. Yeah, that's and, a lot. Yeah, and it's like, so it's at minimum, this thing is going to weigh 15 to 20 pounds on the light end. And I think the heaviest I got it up to was over 40. <laughs> now, do you feel like it's well designed to carry that weight? It's most mostly. Yeah, I would say that it's pretty good for 30-ish pounds. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've used uh, packing cubes and have done travel with it. And I can do like two people for two nights plus a camera and a lens in this bag. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. It seems super useful. And I mean, we just talked about that aperture cob light. Like that's a perfect example where you yeah. you could get a light like that. You could put that in your camera and stuff in the bag. You could have a little portable interview set up. Yeah. One, one of the, bag. one of the big selling points for me is like, if you like any kind of camera bag where it's like, I take the bag, I open, like I open it up from the back or whatever, do the unzip and then fold it open. And now you have this, you know, divider section in front of you. A lot of bags are five, five and a quarter inch deep. This one is like six and a quarter inch deep. Mm. You get a, like one inch extra depth. What do you and find that, that to be useful That for? extra depth is like, now I can take my camera and set it with the grip facing up instead of with the grip facing horizontally. So instead uh. of like, you're setting a camera on a table with the bottom down, mm-hmm. now you're setting it on its side. I see. And just being able to do that completely changes the way that you're able to organize the bag. Mm-hmm. And also because the cob light is six inches you can put the light in there and it and it fits and everything closes yeah and so like that extra bit of depth uh really really changes kind of how you use it because mm-hmm. you can stack things you can use their little divider things to put a lens in and then you pull the divider down and you can put another lens in on top of it because uh, i'm shooting APS-C and lenses are super tiny yep you've got your lenses in their nice little bunk bed yep exactly yeah. so Perfect. i mean I, we're gonna talk about this ad nauseum yeah later. we're gonna have a four-hour podcast yeah. coming up on that mm-hmm. just wait but so been really happy with it. I think I've basically formed an opinion at this point. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna start like scripting for my 35 minute bag review, and it's just just look forward to that. Do you think you'd buy one of the smaller Peak Design bags, or like were you were you only interested in the big one? I wanted the big one because I wanted something that could carry all of my gear mm-hmm. or do clothes plus gear. So like That's I was fair. I was looking for a big bag. Yeah, and this bag is huge it is when i put it in full 45 liter mode it is easily twice as wide as my torso yeah. i can't walk through narrow hallways because i can't turn around <laughs> you got to plan your movements very carefully exactly yeah. i'm like a bull in a china shop when i got that thing on <laughs> someone's like hey lucas i'm like what crash what crash it's terrible yeah i yep. love it i love it <laughs> it's terrible and you love it i think i'm just going to do one more uh and it's not really gear, but I want to talk for a moment about <laughs> KEH and K, uh, KEH's website. And oh, interesting. Even though it's not camera gear, I think it's related. It's not sponsored or anything like that. Um, but KEH is a place where you can buy and sell used camera gear. 
and I think I had heard about it before this year, but this year was the first time I really used it for anything. So when I sure. sold my EOS R, I had the camera and a bunch of lenses and, you know, I want to get a decent price for them. And unfortunately, our local camera store just really doesn't give very good prices on used gear. Like it never feels good selling stuff there. I always feel like I've lost so much value on it. It's not a... Not a great feeling. I, I think they just don't like you because every time I go there, like I get an okay price, but yeah. and they're always I've, like offering you better deals. Yeah, and like stuff. I've talked them down on lens purchases like three times, and yeah. every time you do it, they're like, "No, I think I'm, no. Gonna, I'm gonna have to get you to start buying lenses for me." I, just, I don't, I don't know what it is. But regardless, I found Keh and got a quote from them, and it was much better than anything else I'd gotten. I felt like it was a very fair offer, very reasonable, and it was an incredibly easy process. I mean, I submitted the quote to them and they sent me a shipping label and I just had to package up my stuff and send it off to them. They got it a few days later and processed it and paid me. And I mean, it was just a super easy process. And I thought, you know, maybe when they got my gear, they'd try to talk me down and say stuff was in worse condition than it was, but that didn't happen at all. I mean, it was, it was a great experience and I really like buying used camera gear because I feel like you usually get something that's in as good of condition as you would new and you pay a lot less. And so I'm just a big fan of that site. I think I'm going to be using it in the future when I buy cameras and lenses. Yeah. And like because you used the, the, well, some of that money as a trade in credit versus, you know, just pay out. They gave you like a 10 percent discount on whatever you bought, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I bought a thousand dollar lens and that saved me about a hundred bucks. Yeah. So that was great. It's pretty good. Pretty big deal. When I bought the X-H2S, you know, that was a new camera, which is unusual for me. Most of the cameras I've bought have not been right. new, you know, not new releases and mostly, well, some, I guess my USR was used when I bought it. But I mean, if you can deal with being 18 months to two years behind the curve on cameras, if you can just buy a used one that's in good condition, I feel like you can save so much money on cameras. Yeah. And that used to be more true before, before 2020. That's probably true. And so hopefully, you know, the used market kind of works its way down. But yeah, I I think I've purchased one new lens ever and everything's always been used. And Mm -hmm. uh, I only had that really terrible problem with the 56 millimeter where like I bought it and then it was broken. So I took it back and then they gave me another copy and then that one didn't work. And then I took it back and then they showed me another copy and I was like, this one's also broken. Yeah. That, that starts to feel like there's something wrong with the design of that. Yeah. I'm now like dubious about Mm -hmm. that 56 millimeter and I just don't know. I think like if I if I do end up going back and getting the 5612, I'm just going to buy the, the brand new one. Yeah. Which pro tip for anyone out there looking for a 5612, if you don't need the APD, which is basically an anti-aliasing filter, don't buy the APD lens because it's going to cost you $300 more and it drops your stops by, I think it's like one, you get it's one third stop darker because it has the extra filtration on it. And so you're not, re, you're getting more like 1.8 versus 1.2. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like, the, the more expensive one is not always better. Yeah. Well, like if you're taking pictures of fine patterns and you don't and like you're still having more problems, even though X trans is better at certain more than others, you can get the APD and it helps out with that. So like just portraits of people in plaid. Yeah. Which let me lean Man, back. That, you're really, yeah, <laughs> you're really making that pop filter do work. Yeah, I am. <laughs> portraits of people in plaid. <laughs> yep. Then get the APD. Otherwise, don't. Good pro tip. Pro tip. Cool. You got one more? Yeah. Whenever I sold a lens from KEH, they gave me a quote. I sent it to them and then they gave me more money than my quote because they said it was in better condition than I advertised. Yeah. That, that, That's pretty have, honest. You just have better luck with you stuff than I do. I, I guess so. That's very <laughs> strange. Uh, I'm going to, I'll just, I'll go with one more, I guess. Uh, and it's, this is more of like a um, sad song, you know, say, say goodbye type thing and play 
uh, what's that song? My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> you might have to sing that for us so we don't get copyright uh, strikes. <laughs> you just, just play it in the background real quiet here when, uh-huh. when you edit this thing. Uh-huh. Uh, my 16 millimeter 1.4. I owned it for 13 months. It was my favorite lens. It's the best lens I ever, I've ever had. It's just so beautiful and sharp and rectilinear and it can close it can fo- focus like three centimeters from the lens like you put the lens hood on and then you can touch the lens hood or something and it's still in focus but lucas what happened to that lens where is it it's it, it it's gone it went on to a better place uh we we had our relationship and then it left me uh-huh it's just it had other things to do it had just other people to see you're being really vague about this. I lost the lens, Daniel. <laughs> I don't know where it is. I have no idea. I just, like, it was there, and now it's not there. And I've looked everywhere, and I can't find it, and I'm going to have to replace it. And it was like... <sighs> I still don't think I've ever met somebody who could lose a camera How lens. do you lose a camera lens? I don't under. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Like, I had it. I'm always really careful. Like, you take the lens off the camera, you put it in the bag. You take it out of the bag, you put it on the camera. And then it's either, like, on your desk and you're in your office, or it's in the bag, or it's on the camera. And it's not in any of those places, and I don't know where it is. Now, that Peak Design bag is so big that it could be in the I bag I lost somewhere. it before I had the Peak Design bag. And I've tore the brevet apart, like, three times. and like, put it inside like out. Like, literally, you I tore took, it apart? I took all the dividers out, and I was like, it's got to be in here somewhere. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> so sad. I just... So sad. <sighs> I don't know. Are you going to replace that lens? I'm going to replace that lens. So good. You bought it twice. (laughs) I, Ooh, boy. So this is not what we're talking about, but I have, I have an 85 millimeter. I have a 30 millimeter and I would, I was like, okay, I only want Fuji glass. I'm going to buy this Fuji, whatever, 16 to 55. And then they came out with a Tamron and I'm like, Oh, I guess I need lens stabilization. It's nice that it's got a little, little more reach and it's, basically as sharp and it's like $300 cheaper sigh. And so I bought the Tamron and I was like, that'll be my only third party lens. And then I sold my 35 and my 85 when the 85 was a Canon lens. I sold both of those lenses. And I'm like, I'm going to buy a 56 and I'm going to have the 16 millimeter and the 56. And like, that's going to be a cool range to have. And then I had that problem with the three copies of the 56. And then I'm like out my 35 cause I already sold it and I'm out my 85. And so I'm like, I have store credit and I have no lenses. I have no primes, which you can't live that life. Yeah, I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I bought the Sigma 30 millimeter because I didn't have a 23 millimeter and I didn't want to buy the 35 because I just sold it. And then they had a Viltrox 85 and I was like, I like 85 focal length. This is native mount. It's like super, super cheap. And so I just bought that to have it. Yeah, both the Sigma and the Viltrox were very Mm -hmm. affordable. And now like having used the 30 millimeter for a while, I'm like, oh, geez, like it's okay, but I miss having an aperture ring and I sure would like something a little wider Mm -hmm. because the reason, like what I like that focal length for is to be, uh, is to be able to, you know, put a small lens on my camera, go out and like, just take pictures and not have to like deal with a zoom and all this sort of thing. And for that sort of thing, 30 millimeters is still just a smidge too tight. Yep. And now I'm finding myself thinking maybe I should sell my 85 and my 30 millimeter that I bought literally four <laughs> months ago and buy a 23 millimeter. And then I still got to buy the 16 cause I lost it. So then I look at the 16 and the 23. And then I'm like, what am I going to do on the top end if I sell the 85? Like, do I like invest in a macro? Do I go back to the 56 and like try to revisit that? Well, I don't know what I'm going to do, Daniel. There's just no perfect camera setup. This is constantly in a state of flux. I'm just, I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, 
in lament over this whole situation uh, for, for the next few weeks. Have you considered replacing all of your lenses with nanomorphs? I didn't until now. <laughs> Maybe I should do that. Something no. to think about. Jeez, oh gosh. Let's just get on. Get on with it. We're not even supposed to be talking about this. <laughs> fine, fine. I don't know. I think that's probably enough for our favorite camera gear of the year. I yeah, think probably. we should talk a little bit about some of the releases that came out this year. Yeah, that, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. So the most exciting camera gear releases of 2022. That's a high high bar. What do you got? I'm looking at this list and there's some things in 2021 that I want to mention. 2021 isn't 2022. But like, like, okay, okay. I'm I'm just going to go with this one. It it was announced in September 2021, but it didn't come out until November 2021. And I'm pretty sure no one could buy it until January because of supply chain constraints. Somebody's supply chains. So I'm going to say that this is, this is still a 2022 product. And it is the Sony Tamron F2 35 to 150 full frame lens. And why why are you so excited about I that? Have, I have never used this lens, but if I was a Sony shooter, I would use this lens because 35 to 150 is, it's a weird focal length for yeah, full frame. No kidding. Like usually you're 24 to 70 or 70 to um, 200, but this is like kind of the middle range of both. And it's F2 through the whole freaking range. Find me a, a zoom that does 100 millimeters on full frame that's F2. I mean, how heavy is this thing? It's not too crazy. It's, it's like, you know, about this, you know. A, it's only like so- seven and a half pounds? No, it's like a, like a 24 to 70, right? It's, uh, it's, a, okay. it's a handful of pounds. It's this classic, like, polycarbonate tamarind destruction. Like, it's not too big. It's a is reason it bigger or smaller than a Sonos One? It's, it's smaller than a Sonos One. Okay. Is, it, is it bigger or smaller than a COB? jury's still out on that yeah hard to say it may actually be bigger anyways it doesn't matter this feels like a really cool lens if you're in the the sony ecosystem because i can't think of a faster zoom except for the sigma 18 to 35 and that's like a really short short length and it's APS-C only so really cool really cool optional full frame and i'm giving it as most exciting of camera of 2022 even though it came out in 2021 because of how unique it is. I can't think of another lens that hits that focal range or that aperture for that wide of a zoom. It's just this you know, crazy versatile option. That's a fair point. It does sound like a really good lens. And that's one thing that's a bummer about all these different systems is that sometimes you see a lens for a different system and you just wish you could use that. But I mean, especially on E-mount, I'm probably never going to be able to use an E-mount lens. You can't really adapt it to other things. And nope. I don't really like adapting lenses anyway, but it sounds really cool for Sony shooters. Yep, it's a it's a Sony world only type thing. And I mean, it's probably not worth switching for, but like if you're going to Sony, worth doing. Oh crap, I got it all wrong. I'm you looking it at it wrong. It's F2 to F2.8. Mm. So it's, it's a variable aperture. Throw it in the trash, get rid of it. Yep. I, t- I take it back. Not I worth take it, it all back. Not worth it. Now still still pretty cool. Yeah. Sounds like a cool set of specs. Yeah, definitely. It is optically stabilized. Mm. Yeah. I'm not looking at the spec page right now. <laughs> Just that's that is that is popped in your head. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep, yeah. just came to me. Yep, I thought this would be really cool for this lens. <laughs> well, one thing that I thought I'd mention was DJI drones in general. So there have Ooh. been some interesting releases from the end of 2021 to now. The first of those being the DJI Mavic 3. I think they dropped the pro, so I think it's this Mavic 3 and Mavic 3 Cine edition, right. And then more recently, we had the DJI Avada, which we talked about in a recent episode. And the Mavic 3 Classic. So a lot of interesting drones coming out from DJI recently. 
Uh, I mean, really like the Cine version was kind of a shift for them because they had gone from the Mavic Pros being sort of the premium consumer line to now they're trying to get into a higher cinema class. And Mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing to see. I still don't know if it's going to work out for them. I don't know how many people are actually buying that. I mean, it sounds like they lost a lot of confidence because I took Pro out of the name. What are Pros going to use now? I don't don't know. They're going to have to buy a $4,000 non-Pro drone. Please. Can't be doing that. Yeah. Although it does have Cine in the name. That's true. That that adds three thousand dollars to the price Min- right there. Minimum. Yeah. 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 I wanted this on on this list mostly because of those those Cine drones. I think that like the dual the dual camera deal and like their large profiles and you know all like the terabyte of storage on the thing and blah 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 blah. I think that like those Cine drones feel too expensive for what they are, but at the same time, like DJI is really pushing the envelope for like stabilization mm-hmm. and what they can do with. Uh, you know, small sensors and just all the flying technology. And I just, I really like what they're doing. I like, I'm liking the, I'm liking the microphone stuff. I'm liking the Ronin 40S thing and that stabilization and blah, blah, blah. And it feels like a lot of that just is coming from the drone work that they're doing. Yeah. And they're doing a lot of cool stuff. They've really taken drones from being something that's hard to use and finicky into something that's very reliable and just works super well. Everything seems well designed. Yep. You don't really see a lot of bugs or anything. Just, anytime I see a DJI product, I feel like it's going to be good. It's going to be reliable. Yep. And they're doing good work. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you there. So it's as long as the 17 to 70. So it's about six inches, but it has an 82 millimeter filter on it. Oh my gosh. And it weighs three and a half pounds. It's <laughs> quite, a, you're not putting that on a gimbal anytime soon. Oh, That's man. quite a bit. It is so heavy. Yeah. I always forget like how big full frame lenses mm-hmm. are because it's like they can't be that much bigger i mean like come on and like you know a 1.2 aperture prime on aps-c is gonna weigh a half a pound or something yep. it's like 500 kilograms yep. uh, grams or whatever well and some of it is that it, having any sort of zoom with a constant aperture or a nearly constant aperture is going to be heavy because i used to have that sigma 18 to 35 which was an aps-c lens but it was 1.8 uh, constant aperture and that lens weighed almost two pounds Wow. And that was APS-C. Yeah. So three and a half doesn't sound ridiculous to me, but I mean, it is it's, heavy. It's like it's not ridiculous, but that is that is heavy. Yeah. It's going to be substantially heavier than your camera. Yeah. The, fi- the 50 to 140 XF lens is 2.2 pounds. Yeah. And that's a pretty big lens. Yeah. Three and a half pounds. Yeah. And, and three and a half is like not that far off from twice as heavy. Like I guess I guess you today. save it on the fact that those Sony bodies are so tiny. Yeah, I Man, guess. It's going to be so, it's going to be so off weighted. Yeah. Like the body weighs like a half a pound. Then you have this. Anyways, well, that's why those lenses have a tripod foot because you, you yep. screw that. I don't on a tripod. know if this one has a tripod foot. Daniel, we're not talking about this anymore. God, it's not bringing it <laughs> what, up. What is this? The Sony podcast? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so I'm going to go with another 2021 product. I because it's the full year. Do you know what year it is? Oh gosh. Okay, but this one was announced in December 2021, probably, and so it it. You, you most likely couldn't get it until January. Or if you bought it, you didn't get it until January. And I'm going to go with the Nikon Z9. Because I'm my goal here is like, we're going to bring Nikon back into the light. You know, the, the forgot, <laughs> we're the bringing for, it back. The forgotten child of lore. <laughs> now, are you, the, are you about to tell me that the Z9 has been out for like four years? The fabled prodigal son. The Z9 came out in the last year. Oh, okay. It's just a 2020. In my opinion, it's a 2022 product. All right. And the Z9 uses... I. I don't know if it's the same stack sensor as what's in the A1. I think last time I looked it up, it is not, but it might be. Who knows? Sony and Nikon, no. I apparently don't. 
but it's a stack sensor and the readout speed on the camera is so fast. Nikon said, what if we didn't put a shutter on this camera? There's no mechanical shutter. And there's like basically no rolling shutter. And that's, to me, that's where we're going, right? Stack sensors that read out so fast, you don't even you don't even need a mechanical shutter. And that's like another another moving component out of it. I wonder if it'll be like phones where your phone camera is actually, like when you open the camera app, your phone camera is constantly mm-hmm. taking pictures. I mean, it has to get there, right? I mean, it's, that's like the whole cool smart HDR thing. You yeah. set it in auto mode and like taking three full frame pictures and compositing it. I mean, not everyone's going to want that because like pro cameras are blah, 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 Lightroom, mm-hmm. et cetera. What, what's really a photo and all that crap. But to me, when I'm thinking, okay, what's like, what's next? What's coming up? I think mechanical shutters are going to go away for probably a range of cameras. And to me, like the Z9 and, you know, the A1, they won probably more than the Z9, but that's the last year camera, so I can't talk about it. Uh, Like the Z9 is one of these, hey, guys, look here. This is the next thing. Here's your 42 megapixel full frame shutterless camera, right? Stack sensor, all that stuff. So I think think it's really cool. I think that like that, like this is the top of the line. This is the future. I don't I don't know what to say. It's it's weird to hear you say the future and Nikon in the same thought. But <laughs> oh, Sigmund. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I do think those Z cameras are probably underrated. I feel like I never hear about them, but yep. the the specs all seem really impressive and, and the Nikon and, shooters love them. Yeah. Cuz they don't know any better. Poor Nikon shooters. <laughs> <laughs> but we're bringing it back. Yep. So we'll see. Bringing it back. But I mean, the Nikon FC is pretty cool. You get that retro design. If the Nikon FC had, is that what it's called? So you don't go, even know. You're I'm, just making up cameras. Whatever. Now. I'm just going to go with it. If the Nikon FC had classic Chrome, I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that segues into what I was going to talk about next, which I'm surprised you didn't take first. But I wanted to mention just all of the cameras Fuji came out with this year. Fuji cast. I feel like Fuji had a really good year for the types of things we cover on this podcast. And the three that really come to mind for me are the X-H2, X-H2S, and X-T5. And I mean, those cameras all just seem really good in their category. They seem like they're in a way like class leading for APS-C cameras seem really good. And I feel like Fuji's doing a good job of making stuff that's interesting and, you know, at the top of its class, but still sticking to their strengths and what they're good at. So like the X-T5 being, you know, a really good APS-C camera, 40 megapixels, but still having all the manual dials. I like seeing that where they're doing something different. They're not making a camera that looks like everyone else's camera, but they're still pushing the technology forward. And I was happy to see all of that. Oh, yeah. They have a they have a great niche there where it's like you want something that is reasonably travelable. You have a full line of decent lenses that are small and that you can pack into your bag and something that takes great JPEG so that you don't necessarily have to edit. And like if you're that's what you're looking for and you're just doing pictures, like Fuji is is has such a niche there and they're so good for that. It's hard to, you know, find something and find something that's not, like you could go buy a EOS R7, mm-hmm. but then you're going to have to put full frame R glass on it and you're not yep. going to be able to pack that in the same size bag. Yeah. So like they have that cool niche and you didn't even say it, this is the 10 year anniversary of Fuji X mount. Yeah. The X-T1 came how, out 10 years ago. How could I forget? Yeah, exactly. That's why they came out with all this cool stuff. They're mm. like, here's two new sensors. Here's a bunch of new lenses. They came out with the, uh, oh boy, I'm not even going to remember. They came out with a 30 millimeter 2.8 macro. They came out with four new versions of the 56. Yeah, probably. Mm, probably at least, at least four new yeah. versions of the 56.12. 
I think that the I think the 33 millimeter 1.4 came out this year, and that lens is fantastic. It's very sharp, which is really why you bought a Sigma lens. 30 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, geez, because it costs like half the price. And that's <laughs> that's. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. But third party lenses for Fuji, they they. They, they did have a good year for that too, for didn't they? End of last year or, or a little earlier than that. It might have been even 2020 instead of 2021. They opened up their their autofocus protocol. Mm-hmm. Previously, it was like closed book. And they said, you know, we're going to make it available to third-party manufacturers. And now you have legitimate third-party low-cost lenses yeah, from and I mean, Sigma and Tamron. And that, ta- that, that Tamron lens, the 17-70, was good enough that we both chose to buy that lens mm-hmm. over the Fuji native one because it seemed like legitimately a better choice. I think that... You know, previously maybe afraid that they're going to lose profit by letting third parties in. I think it was the right choice to let third parties into the Fuji ecosystem because, like, if you can get more affordable glass, it's going to keep you there because you're going to be happy with those lenses, and yeah. it's just going to really make make the ecosystem thrive and kind of make Fuji more popular. Yeah, I agree, and I mean, I think we have to be honest. Fuji is still a a distant, at least third place, but behind Sony and Canon in terms of popularity. Yeah, but I, mean, but I, I think I think they're. I think they're gaining ground. I mean, I think they're releasing some really good stuff. The X-H2S feels like legitimately one of the best mirrorless cameras you can buy for video right now. And I mean, all the stuff they're doing, all these cameras that are that are kind of pushing the limits and having good third-party lens support, all these new lenses they're releasing. I mean, it feels like they're gaining some ground. Yeah, definitely. It, I, I would be curious to see if like Fuji's outselling Nikon right now. Because, I mean, you go back 15 years, it was an iconic Canon. For sure. And it's just like Sony, I mean, we're making all these sensors. Let's just make the cameras. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're just killing it with all that mirrorless stuff. Everyone loves them. Yeah. I mean, with Sony, it feels like they they were an electronics company. They're good at mm-hmm. making electronics. And it feels like they kind of came in and shook up the market by, yeah. you know, we, we may not have like the photography chops, you know, or whatever. Like we don't have the history that Canon does, but we know a lot about building electronics. Mm-hmm. We already make all these sensors and... And they really shook up the market. Well, like the way that they tackled it, I think was really smart in that they were like, here's the specs. And they like pushing the specs super, super hard. And now, you know, like your Canon and your Nikon are kind of having to chase after them with those Mm -hmm. specs, you know, but they're the ones who make all the stuff. So like they have the things first and then like their marketing, they bring all the YouTubers out whenever like things, things hit and they really lean into like the bloggers and and the YouTubers and the online marketing type stuff and like give a lot of things out to people. And it's working. Yeah. And because of that, it's like Sony is right at the forefront. If you're looking for a camera, they are just, they're in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. So I I think they're, they're killing it on the marketing. And I think that's, that's part of the reason why they really, you know, won the mind share. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their stuff is really good though. I mean, it is, is. they they can back it up with the Mm -hmm. the products. Yeah. I mean, like you see a thing, you buy a thing and then you're happy with it. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to buy another one probably. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff happening, but I was I was impressed with Fuji this year. I mean, it caused me to switch to them. I'm happy with that choice and I'm curious to see where they go next. Yeah, yeah, me too, for sure. I'm going to go with for for my next pick here, the Arri Alexa 35. Okay. Obviously a camera that a lot of us are, you know, looking to add to our collection. Mm-hmm, yeah. For sure, you know, easily easily a 50 to 100,000 dollar camera. I think that this one is particularly interesting in I mean, it's it's L- Arri Alexa's first new full frame sensor. It might be a little bigger than full frame. It's their first like new, real, innovative sensor that they've put into a camera in years, years and years, like a decade. 
and it has incredible dynamic range. There's a video that Cine D put out that they talk about like the dynamic range and the things that they're doing with this uh, this new sensor in the Area 35. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. It's closer and closer to what film can do. Mm-hmm. You get extra like two stops in, in the highlights and all like, it's just, it's just, it's incredible. And the reason I want to put this on the list is because a huge proportion of movies that come out are shot on Aerie. It's really like almost all of the award winning mm-hmm. movies are, right? Yeah. Like you have a, a few that are shot on red, mm-hmm. but you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to be on an Aerie camera. And having a camera that can do two extra stops or shoot in lower light with cleaner, cleaner range. I mean, like whenever we saw like, you know, you go look at like how movies and stuff looked at them in the 90s. Like you go watch Scream and it is high key and very colorful and everything's well lit. Mm-hmm. And then you go look at anything that's come out in like the mid 2000s, like, I don't know, the second Matrix movie or, you know, um, like as Marvel's a little too far out. But because the switch from, you know, film to digital, things got darker right because it was harder to you know you could raise the shadows a little easier than you could pull back the highlights so they're mm. like don't overexpose okay and that became the bible right you know shoot for shoot for the highlights and and watch it versus film like you can film's harder to pull up the shadows right so you're going to shoot for the shadows and pull down the highlights in your exposure and whatever you can push and pull blah 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 what i'm getting at is i feel like this is another inflection point and then movies that are shot on the area 35 they're gonna be able to do things and make looks that weren't possible with the sensors before it because of how interesting and new and capable the sensor is. And so, I mean, I may be like overselling it, but to me, like I see this cool camera that's come out and I'm like in 2025 to 2030, all the new movies that are using this are going to look different. Maybe they're going to look brighter or they're going to have like different light roll offs. So they're going to use more natural light mm-hmm. because they can. Mm-hmm. And like the look of movies that changed from, you know, the nineties to the two thousands, like, this feels like as these sensors get way more capable, we're going to see just like a culture shift in what movies look like. That's really interesting. It, it, it's hard to fathom that a single product could have that much of an impact on, mm-hmm. you know, on the culture of movies. But sure. I mean, if there's any company that could, it's probably Aerie. Well, it's got to be. I mean, like they they sell so many of these cameras and I don't know. It's Do they? Do people buy them? Sorry. they Like people use they, so many of these they, cameras. They've built possibly 10 of these cameras and they rent them out. Yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. <laughs> But I mean, I just, I don't know. I think it's really cool. I think it's cool what they're doing. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, so, so is this thing out now? Like are, are people using it now? I, I, I have no idea. I okay. think so. I mean, I, I think that people are still using a lot of like large format, you know, LF, LF Airy minis and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But in like, there's gonna be a lot of budget productions that just don't use it. I'm sure that, you know, by next year, we're going to start see- like if they came out this year, you start shooting at the end of the year when you can get your hands on it. You're mm-hmm. not going to see things that have been filmed on this camera until, you know, much later. Yeah. And like, it feels like we were for the longest time, we were stuck at like 12 to 14 stops of dynamic range, like the high end, just like 14, 15 stops of dynamic range. And this thing's doing 17, 18, no problem. Like yeah, that's crazy. Like this, that Cine D video that I'm going to have to link in the show notes. Uh, I'm talking about they, the way that they test it is like they set the same scene every time and then they change like the aperture of a lens or whatever to get it to where like you know, Oh, we're going to open this up until the highlights clip basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they almost couldn't do it. Like they had to push everything to the limit in order to get something to clip on the sensor. And they're like, this is, if they do anything better than this, we're going to have to come up with a new test because it breaks our test. (laughs) I'm like, that's too cool. You have to find some brighter lights. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, that is cool. It's, it's really cool. I love this kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Area Alexa 35. Very cool. I think we've got time for each of us to do one more 
And for my last one, I'm going to say DaVinci Resolve for the iPad. Nice. So I was really interested to see this. You know, we've been waiting for Apple to release Final Cut Pro for the iPads for so long. And the newest iPad Pros use the M-series chips, and they're so powerful. And it just feels ridiculous that you can't do video editing on these things. Yep. And they released the M2 iPads, and along with that, there is this kind of surprise announcement that now DaVinci Resolve will be available on the iPad. Yeah, it's like, where, where are you at, Final Cut? Yeah, yeah, like, how was DaVinci first at the game? It looks like it's available on the M2 as well as on the uh, M1 iPad Pro. It said mm-hmm. specifically the 12.9-inch one, right. okay, so, so it's the biggest one. one. But it just seems really cool, and... Blackmagic's got this kind of like cloud sync type stuff. So you can have your project and you can work on it on the iPad and then you can pull up that same project on the computer and work on it. And I just love this idea. I like the idea of being able to travel or work at a coffee shop or something and I can do some casual clip selection or some basic editing. And then I can go back to my computer later and do more focused stuff or more precision editing with it. But this is something I've been waiting for for a long time. And I think it's super cool. Let me know if I'm getting this right. The the iPad version basically supports the cut functionality and the color functionality. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And I'm about to make the jump to resolve. And so like I've been learning a little bit about it the it's like with the cut section you can do a lot of like you know put one clip from the end of another to another another or whatever and like you can combine things and make a thing you're not necessarily doing the transitions or dealing Mm -hmm. with the audio but if you're looking to just do like a really quick super cut or a really fast video something that maybe like adobe rush would do that's kind of what you're doing here but the advantage is like you can do that and then you walk over to your computer and you can take it into edit tab or into fusion and like do all of your your heavy stuff. And that's kind of what I was thinking about, you know, like why I would want to use it is because when I first do a project, you know, I've just gotten all my clips and I like the idea of just being able to kind of lounge on my couch and just casually put stuff together, kind of get it looking the way I want. And then when I'm ready to get really serious and tweak the in and out points and stuff, that's where I can go to the computer. But I like the idea to be able to do that. You can also do the coloring on it, though. Yeah, the iPads have great screens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, the iPad screen is probably the most color accurate and nicest display they have. Yeah. And if you can do your coloring on that, then maybe that lets you get something that you're happier with. Not to mention that a lot of people are going to look at that content on something like an iPad or a phone. And so using that to color it yeah, would make f- sense. Ch- testing it or finaling it or whatever on it is, is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Having done, you know, appropriate amount of color grading in Final Cut, I want to say like a lot, I want to say a little. Working in Final Cut's color tab on a 13-inch screen is just like borderline too small. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious like what that interface looks like, what they're not including and that sort of thing right. in order to get it onto a 12.9 inch screen yeah yeah i'm curious too but i mean this whole thing is just really exciting to me and i otherwise haven't felt any need to own an ipad pro i use an ipad mini and it's great but seeing this kind of makes me want to use resolve kind of makes me want to buy an ipad pro yep I, I think it's a cool workflow yep so in re- in the cut tab of resolve when you're using it on a computer you can select all your clips or whatever and then you can s- it will order them by time and then you can just scrub through them really quickly and like just in out and then drop into your timeline. Yeah. So instead of having to like review through all your footage and like pick the things and drop it in, you can quickly scrub through and drop in as you go. Uh, and it makes it makes it a little easier. I'm actually really looking forward to learning Resolve and I think it's going to be fun to try. The way that the uh, the multi-clam works, you know, how like normally with a multi-cam, you like set it up, you play it linearly back and then you're changing between your different your different angles. You can set up and sync a multicam. You drop in your A-roll version of the clip, 
and then you go through your other other angles and you can like skim through and find the parts that you want to include You're like oh they're pointing at something here i want to include this clip and you like in out it and then you just hit put into my timeline and it'll put it where it goes in its synced position oh that's cool so instead of having to like a b through everything you just drop in your a roll you go and find the clips that you want and then it will drop them into where they go in the synced position. That's really cool. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. That would make things a lot easier. Definitely going to have to play with that more. And I have a feeling we'll be talking about Resolve quite a bit coming up. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, if uh, Final Cut hadn't stabbed me in the back, we wouldn't, wouldn't have this problem. We'll have to talk more about that in the future. <sighs> I'm going to break my computer in half. All right. I'm going to give you one more. What All do you right. got? Instead of giving you one more, I'm going to lightning around a number of these, a few more of these. And I want you to give me one sentence. On yeah. each of these. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Nope. Nanomorphs. Super cool. Definitely want them. Make Art Now did a video on them, and I was I was really into them after seeing that. Nice. Kinfinity Mabo Edge 6K. Too expensive. Pretty cool. I know Gerald did a video on that, and they gave it away in a contest, and I was bummed we didn't win it. I don't, I don't know what to think about it. I don't know if I want that or not. I'd have a hard time picking between that and something like a Black Magic 6K, but... Seems pretty cool. That was more than one sentence. Insta360 X3. I super want an Insta360, but I feel like I'm not extreme enough for it. Is it too niche? I don't know if it is or not. It seems like you could get really cool behind the scenes stuff with it. But at the same time, am I really going to go back later and take the time to turn that 360 clip into a normal clip and do all the aiming and stuff? But I want a life that warrants one of those. Yep, yep, yep. I get it. Oh, it's all those sweet ads that they do. Yeah. All right, last one, Sony FX30. That's a hard one. I like that it exists. I think it's really cool that they made a camera that is down at a approachable price point, but is still positioned as like a cinema style. You know, it's in the FX line. I think that's really cool, but I just don't know how to feel about it. It's that Sony gateway drug. It's that Sony gateway drug, and we did talk about it, but same thing we said on that episode. I still don't know who that camera is for at that price point. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. It's in a weird category where I think it's cool that it exists, but I also don't know who I would suggest buy that camera. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's all I got from the lightning round. There's other things on this list. There's a lot of cool stuff that came out this year. Big year for camera stuff. Yeah, I can't really talk about all of it. I mean, you know, there's like the A7R4 came out and, you know, R6 Mark II, blah, 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 yeah, yeah. all kinds of cool stuff. So All kinds of cool stuff, but been okay. a good year for cameras. I think uh, next year is probably going to be good too. And yeah, maybe, maybe I mean, next time we should talk about what projects we're looking forward to next year or something like that. I think but, we should do another rumor roundup about what we're looking at for 2023. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that. But. Sweet. Cool. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed it, we'd encourage you to rate us on iTunes and tell your photography friends about the show. Also, check out our website at cameragearpodcast.com to learn more or send us feedback and questions. We'll be back with more next week.